So if you remember, and I remind you about this several times a year, that when I was candidating for, to come here, I made one rule, and the elders agreed with it, and that was that when it was a fifth Sunday, I could talk about anything I wanted to talk about. And sometimes that's scary, and sometimes it's not so scary. Today it may be scary. I, those of you who have your Bible, I want you to camp in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But I want to first start about talking about my young Christmas experience. Now, my family is German. We, um, we lived north of Milwaukee, so there's a, there's a German part of Milwaukee. We were not part of that. We were in the country because we were farmers. Um, but there were two things that Germans were known for. And the first thing is their heritage with Martin Luther. And the second thing is beer. And when I was growing up, Milwaukee was the beer capital of the world. Beer capital of the world. And in my family, I had two uh, great uncles that worked in breweries. So we would have family get-togethers. I'd go to my grandmother's house, and usually I don't remember a time when the family get-together didn't end up something like this. Um, a bunch of bottles, empty bottles on the table, uh, someone getting up and yelling at the other one and swearing and someone start storming out the door. It happened every single family gathering. And, and this, of course, also happened at Christmas. Eventually, I think my dad kind of figured out that maybe this isn't a good idea, so we left that part of the family and we didn't celebrate Christmas with them. Now, we'd come a little bit later to my grandmother's house. I'm not sure what your Christmas experiences are. Um, I know that Christmas is always better before because you're planning and you're hoping for the most wonderful thing that could happen. But many times, those plans and hopes um, kind of get dashed. And I would say that those experiences are the absence of love. So I'd like to talk this morning about an experience that I had. And I've talked about this before. I'm going to embellish on it a little more. This is the summer of 2007, and I was, a second I was going to be a second vocation pastor. I hadn't been a pastor before. I'd been a youth pastor right out of high school or right out of college. Um, but God was pushing me into the pastorate, so I went to seminary, and I was in seminary, and there were a lot of pressures on me. One was I had a full-time job, and the other one was I had to finish an ordination process. Well, at the time, I was in an ordination process for the Reformed Church of America. And it was winding down. I knew that I'd be graduating in a little over a year. But one thing to be ordained in the Reformed Church of America was that you had to have had an internship at a Reformed church. And this had not happened yet. But I applied for a job, and Lori and I were looking forward to the possibility that I might be employed full-time at a church um, in, near Anaheim. In fact, 
it was probably only about five minutes from Knott's Berry Farm. And I was one of two candidates. I knew that I was one of two candidates. Of course, I was the old one. And of course, they were interviewing somebody young. And I remember sitting in the interview, and I go, oh, boy. Because there was a committee, and the committee was four people. And I could see the three people were real excited about me. But I could see that the pastor was not going to make this happen. <laughs> well, it was on uh, one summer morning. I was, wor I was working at our church. And um, I got the call that, no, indeed, I was not the candidate chosen, which provide all kinds of complications. But wouldn't you know, um, a few minutes later, I called my wife, and we, I don't remember what the argument was. I don't remember what I said to tick her off, and I don't remember what she said to tick me off, but I remember hanging up my flip phone and thinking to myself, I'm not going to be ordained. I've sold everything I had to, for this vocation, and my marriage is dead. And um, I felt rather hopeless. I felt rather hopeless. Um, now, of course, the things I'm thinking of are that, number one, it's this pastor's fault that I didn't get the job course, he didn't see what I could do, you know, in building up the youth program and building up the youth leaders. And of course, it's my wife's fault that we're at odds, because of course, if she only under, you know, you know, understood me and only, she was only acting appropriately, then of course we'd be in a good relationship. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but you don't see the myopia. You, you don't see that you're so, you just see that it's hopeless. The situation hopeless. Um, so it didn't matter whether we were having our family get together and people were slamming the door and, you know, everybody was drunk and, you know, and, and were in tension or whether it was that one morning, that summer morning, um, when you're feeling hopeless, let me suggest to you that um, you are not in a place of receiving the love of God. Now let me, so we're going to talk this morning about these Corinthian people. And I'm only going to look at one verse. It's verse 7 of chapter of uh, chapter 13. But let me give you a little bit of background because I think we really miss sometimes what the background is of these Corinthians. What happened was, you, you know, Rome was taking over the world and, and Rome basically said, you can worship anybody you want to worship as long as you recognize Caesar. And we want you to be part of our world empire. So Rome was very gracious to anybody who had different cultures as long as they obeyed Caesar. Well, you remember the stories about Jerusalem. You know, there was intention because they were constantly saying, well, our, you know, 
shooting insults at Caesar and saying we're we're going to obey the only God. And but what happened was there was a town, a city. It was named Corinth, and they had been so like rebellious that Rome destroyed them totally. Corinth was nothing but shambles in 140 A.D. Because Rome said, we've had enough of you. We're ticked off. You're gonna, we're, we're just destroying your whole city. They did. But the thing was that Corinth was, in a, was a culmination of two different trade routes that were very valuable to Rome. And so eventually, Rome said, well, you know what? We've got to bring this city back. So they started rebuilding it. And Corinth was a place where they had everything in high value, in luxury. So they had traders, money traders. They had um, prostitutes, temples. They had built everything. It was all the best and the most valuable people from all around. And it built up immediately because of where its location. So in Corinth, you had this cacophony, this, um, this diversity of all kinds of the best of everything, including philosophy. Well, Paul's writing the Corinthians, and if you look, read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you're going to find that chapter 12, it's about the Spirit and the Spirit's gifts. Chapter 14 is about the Spirit and the Spirit's gifts. And this is all because the Corinthians were having phenomenal services. They had times when people spoke out and it was like angels were there. There were times when they were speaking all kinds of different languages. There were times where people were giving prophetic words like the Old Testament prophets. Things were like mind-boggling. And they'd come together and and they had feasts like you wouldn't believe. Free wine. It was their communion table. I mean, it was something of note. But it was completely out of control. So Paul writes about the Spirit of God and spiritual gifts and, the, and spiritual gifts in the body. And then right in the middle, he puts this rebuke. And the rebuke is this. You're seeing all these wonderful things and you're, you're talking about the greatest wisdom and you're hearing prophecies and you got people doing... It seems like angels are visiting you. But guess what? It's out of control because it doesn't contain love. So when the, when the Corinthians read this letter... Chapter 13 was not the wonderful chapter that we have at weddings. It was a rebuke. In fact, the beginning of of chapter 13, it says, you know what, if you don't have love, it's like a sounding, it's like sounding brass clanging cymbal. That's exactly how the pagan worship began. They're, they're trying to get attention of their gods. And it was of no value. 
So I don't know what hurt you might have received this holiday season or what hurts in front of you because the holiday season is not over yet. But I think that God has a word for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now I, I could read all of it. I could talk about all of it. But there's so much value in these four alls that I just wanted to stop here this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 7. Now, they really the epitaph or the head of this is from chapter 8. It says, love never fails. It is like the ever-ready battery that never runs out. And why does love never fails? Because it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Now, here's what it does. It bears all things. It believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. Those four words. I want you to underline them. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now this first word, bears all things, this is what it really means. It means to hide or to silence. So look around. I want you to look around the people in the sanctuary. Some of them you know, some of them you don't know. Now I want, to, I want you to think about something that they just don't do right or something that looks wrong about them. This is what the word bears all things means. It means that anything wrong Anything wrong is completely silenced. So this is how God looks at you. I know everything that you've ever done. I know everything that you've ever done. I know the, I know the stuff other people know. I know the hidden stuff. But because I love you, It's silenced completely. It's not even in my memory when I relate to you. That's love. So that's the word bear. It's the word in the Greek, stego. All your offenses are kept in silence. They have no voice with our relationship. That's love. Now the second one, it it bears all things, believes all things. This is really kind of the hardest because we know what the word believe is. It's, it's actually the word for faith or, or, or belief. You believe in Jesus. But this is why we have such a problem for it because when we go to, when I went to the altar and um, 
believe me, I had all kinds of things about this wonderful wedding day that I was going to have, and we have it on video. I don't even want to ever look at it again, you know. It's just one of those things that it's like, oh boy, do I have to watch that thing? Our service was over an hour. Um, but I remember when we got to our vows because our pastor used the Westminster marriage ceremony. So it was long. And I remember getting to the vows, and I thought, man, I know what these vows mean. For sickness or health, you know. No matter what. What faithful or belief means, that number one is, I am faithful to you completely. There is nothing that you can do to change this covenant of love that I have for you. And I am never going to discharge this. In other words, there will never be a time when I have to walk to my room and, and walk away from the relationship because you're too much for me. You ever had that? It's like, i got to leave the room. We can, we'll, we can have a conversation later. This relationship is over for right now. I'll come back. This means that in all, in all, love, has faith that holds it in relationship. Believes all things. It is, it is the word pestuo for faith. But this is when we say, and this is one of my greatest hymns of all. So those of you who don't know hymns, I'm sorry, but great is thy faithfulness. Yeah, great is thy faithfulness. Number three, L peace, hopes all things. We don't understand hope either. We don't understand hope because if I say I hope that I have a new car next year, it's like it's a get, you know you can roll the dice. It might happen, might not happen. That's what, how we think about hope. I hope that. The Pittsburgh Steelers win today. I could talk about the Green Bay Packers, but that would be a little selfish, you know. And then, and then maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers end up in the playoffs. I hope. Um, when God is talking about love, hope is there is something fixed and permanent, and all I'm doing is Trusting in that versus what I see. So when it says, I hope all things, it's saying what love is doing eternally is it's giving a fixed point that's beyond what I can see. It is also saying that all that, oh, I have to run away from this relationship because it's too much for me. What hope says is that I will never desert you. I will never desert my relationship with you. And beyond that, I delight in you. So why is this important? Because you know what? God sees all our scars, but He, there is something inside us It's not of our own work. that he just simply says, I have given everything of myself 
because I delight in my relationship with you. And I don't care what you're doing now. And because it might look right now like we're separated in our relationship, I already know that I'm going to do something about it so that this, this delight that I have in you comes to fruition. And lastly, the last word. So it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, I don't know. When I was young and I was, you know, I was getting married, this new wedding relationship, and we had to buy a washer and we had to buy a dryer, and I never knew that my parents actually had to maintain anything. It just seemed like they bought it, you know, the same silverware. You always have to have the same silverware, same plates. It's like they, everything lasts forever. You know, so I just thought everything lasted forever. <laughs> and I could tell you a story about the washer. We had a Frigidaire washer because my parents had a Frigidaire washer. But um, Lori lost a few pounds on that thing because she'd have to sit on it as it was agitating around our <laughs> second floor apartment building, taking off. One day I came home and she was sitting on the washer and she was trying to hold it down. <laughs> We have a house that's well over 100 years old, probably like 140 years old. And um, it's, it's kind of holding up. <laughs> As it's sinking in. Um, I don't know what thing you've experienced where it's like something that you have or seen that's from a long time ago that's endured. But this is way beyond that. This is... This is not the Colosseum that they're trying to restore. This is something that simply endures every attack, every deterioration, every x-ray, every cancer cell. This hole has held up no matter what. It will be there and it endures. This is love. Now, I've just expressed it from God's standpoint to you. But when we have a relationship with someone else, one of all four of those things, or one of those things, they, they, they fail. So when I was sitting there in the, I still remember it was kind of like a basketball court, when I was sitting there going, oh, my goodness. This is really bad. Um, I'm just thinking about everybody else has destroyed it, but the truth is, is that the reality is? Do you remember the song we sang, Silent Night? Glories stream from heaven afar. See, there is something about God that sustains everything. There is something about God that gives breath to everything. So God had always done everything possible to give Lori and I love. I simply was in the place of not being it to Lori or to our relationship. 
Um, we have a container. This is how I like to think about this, and this is where I'm going to end this morning. You cannot do love. You can do, there, there's four, in the Greek, there were four kinds of love. One was like your family and your blood and your loyalty, and the other one was eros, and that was like your sexual desires. And then there was phileo, you know, Philadelphia, your brotherly love. Yeah, you, could, you could do that. You could have affinity, but you, you can't do agape. You can't do love that doesn't have value. Because we, you know, I can say, oh, babe, I love you. But if, 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 if I constantly say, I love you, I love you, and Lori doesn't respond, it gets old. Because I don't get anything out of it. That's all human. But that's not God. God expresses himself in love and gives us something that has no price. Except for you. So as I started reflecting on that, and I didn't reflect on it until years later, um, it wasn't Lori. And, and for some ways, I was blaming God. God, you didn't give me this job. God, you didn't give me a wife who appreciated me and knew everything I was sacrificing and understood me. Uh, who knows? I probably was inside. I was probably holding down the stuff from that conversation regarding the job. What God gives us is the ability to bring something that is, endures forever into any relationship. So let me kind of turn that around. I, I don't know how you're processing this morning, but if you have a difficult relationship this morning, this is what God says. I don't care what that person's done. Because I just simply have given you love that delights in the relationship of the person and hopes in the relationship that you will one day have and stands steadfastly in faithfulness to the end and will endure any attack, anything to destroy it. That's love. Now this last thing to kind of picture that... Um, I like hot coffee. To me, coffee tastes terrible, but I've been drinking it for 30, 40 years. And so you've you got to drink it hot or it's like, I don't want to really taste this. So, you know, you kind of burn your, your taste buds and then you can drink it and, you know, then it's okay. It's just something warm. Um, and I reuse cups. You know, there's like a movement now against throwing stuff in the landfill, but I remember um, I, I would drive into Milwaukee on my way to work, and I'd stop at Hardee's, and Hardee's had these beautiful styrofoam cups. But I don't know what they did, but they started changing how they were making it because I put my Hardee's cup on my desk, and I'd refill it at the coffee pot, you know? But all of a sudden, I began to realize the cups no longer were... It was like, there'd be a, it's like they were leaking. And then I'd look, and there's no hole there. And I, I, I go, hmm. So I wipe, you know, wipe off the table and go get some more coffee and put it down. And sure enough, it was leaking. So it was like porous. It couldn't hold the coffee. And this has been a process, you know, with me as 
were changing the paper cups, and I, uh, I was like, oh, against Starbucks, why are you doing this? You charge more for the coffee, and then you give these little paper-thin <laughs> cups that the heat bleeds out immediately. But now everybody's going to it. Why? Because we're filling up landfills with styrofoam and plastic, and that's another story. But it began to hit me that the reason that we have destructive relationships or that we struggle or that love is lost in relationships is because we've never received and held the love of God. See, on that day, um, I was a kind of a porous container. I'd really never known what it was to receive the full love of God. I didn't understand it. And I, I thought I did. But when you truly receive the love of God, the love that the Father has for you, you are a filled container. No leaks. And that means, guess what? That you can bear all things, believe all things, faith, believe, that you can endure all things, and that you can hope all things. Because you're a full container. And you know what? This is really, really practical because we talk about it in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. Notice the container. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trust. It's, it's, it's a container without a leak. We receive forgiveness, we give forgiveness. It is, when we have that, we have the love of God. I wasn't thinking about this point this morning, but if you have somebody who you have a hard time forgiving, it's because maybe you have a problem with receiving God's forgiveness this morning. Or maybe you have a problem with receiving God's love for you. Here's what uh, John says about the love of God. And Margaret warned me that I can't go too long this morning and I don't have a clock with me. But... 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Notice that. You're born of God. You know God. God is a person. So if you've been talking about God your whole life and you've never engaged him as a person, you're probably missing out on this. You can say, God, I, I, I need you to have a new life. I need to be rebirthed. And God, I need to know you. Can I please know you? And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. This sounds like a command. It is a command. But guess what? What this says is this simply, God is love. If you fill with God's love, you're going to love one another. Don't leak. Don't leak. So, on that day, which I was just way too selfish to try to figure that out for me trying to bless my wife, so we probably didn't talk for two days after that day on the, the telephone conversation. And then we probably started just talking to each other. And when you got four kids and they're all in school and you got the change diapers, and yes, I had those at that time, all that stuff, it, you know, you kind of ooze into, ease into your relationship with each other. Um, but I could have brought love to that day to my wife. Today, we can bring love to the hardest relationship that we have. Not because you have something good in you, but guess what you have? You have a God who loves you, who, who desires and knows what has to be done to have a blessing. So here's what I want you to envision right now. And worship team, you can come up. Jesus' eyes. Because I'm going to tell you right now that if you have a relationship with Jesus, when you see him face to face, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, when you see him, you're going to see eyes that just delight and the fact that you are there for him. It will be the most momentous moment. Pardon the pun. Because every delight that you could have ever imagined will be revealed in that day. As you meet him face to face, and we all get to do this. And it's that delight that God wants us to share today. I know you've been thinking about some hard relationship with that person. Because that's what he did for us. Because that's what he did for us. Let's pray. Lord, as we stop this morning... We don't want to stop receiving. So, you know, there's times when we just are limited by what we can do or process at one time. But the one thing that just never stops is your love and you're the extension of that love toward us. So, Lord, I'm just going to ask you, any, anyone who wants to engage with me right now, if we just say, um, together, Lord, we receive your love. Lord, we receive your love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.
And Lord, let us be containers that flow that love that you've given to us to each other.